everyone, this is Aaron. I just wanted to wish everyone a happy new year. I just have one more holiday episode to share before I move on to 2018. I hope you find this story as inspiring as I do. It is about one of my favorite people in the world, and I played this last year. I hope it's just as inspiring to you as it is for me. And uh, I'm on the lookout for more inspiring stories. If you have one or know somebody who has one, I'd love to include it for maybe next year's holiday episode. Until then, please enjoy. Yelena, welcome to the eSuccess Methods Podcast. Thank you, Aaron. Glad to be here. It is uh, my very distinct pleasure to have you on. Uh, my listeners may know you by your first name because I have I have mentioned you before on some episodes. You uh, you stick in my memory as somebody very very talented and and uh, very important. So I'm glad to have you on. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the E Success Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron. Your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical worlds of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 153, we carry forward the holiday spirit with an inspiring story about a black belt, Yelena, from Russia to riches. Here we go. Yelena was only five years old when she left her birthplace in Uzbekistan for a better life in Russia. As Russian minorities in a primarily Uzbek country, her whole family uprooted to escape the overflow from the Osh riots as the USSR began to fall apart. What do you remember from that time? Uh, we we moved from Uzbekistan in 92 and Soviet Union fell apart 89. I don't remember much about Soviet Union falling apart. Uh, just from stories from my parents, I know that a lot of people lost a lot of money overnight because of, you know, the money lost its value and it changed kind of to a different currency. So I remember that uh, my parents did not own a house um, or too much money for that problem to be a big problem for them. But I do remember that people, you know, there was like suicides being committed because people lost all of their wealth and just a lot of problems like that. And the stores emptied out. Uh, everybody was, you know, in panic mode about what's going to happen next. But slowly the country recovered and established itself as its own country. But then, uh, like you mentioned, the Osh riots began, and that was a conflict between the Uzbeks and Turks. Russians didn't have much to do with it except for the fear of being um, left in the middle of the riot or, you know, being collateral damage of the riot. I remember living in Uzbekistan, and there were so many Russian people there that it felt like I was just living in Russia. Mm -hmm. In my schools, it was mostly white people, like, you know, white Russians, you know, going to hospital stores. When I talked to my parents about it, they mentioned that it was very segregated. So, uh, you know, Russians were the higher edu educated people, and, uh, you know, they, they lived in certain blocks of the city, and then Uzbeks were living separately. And a lot of that was also, you know, for religious reasons. Uh, they had their own customs and we had our own. So everything was very separated. As far as the Osh riots, I think my parents were mainly concerned uh, for our safety. You know, there was houses being burned down, farms being burned down with people inside. And all of that put together just kind of put fear into them. And I remember our move being very sudden. It felt like, you know, overnight we moved. A little bit about my family, too, at that time. My mom was pregnant, so she was on her ninth month. So you would think that they would either, wow. you know, wait for the baby to come or do it much earlier. But they did it, like, right away. So that's what makes me think, again, that it had to be done pretty quickly. And actually, we, we came to our new house on May 3rd, and my mom had the baby on May 12th. So she was very, very close. Wow. And they couldn't put it off. So I know that it was a sudden move. 
Do you remember uh, how you traveled? Do you remember the trip? Yes, it was <laughs> four days on the train. Mm -hmm. And back then there was no cell phones, um, really no phones for that uh, matter, because the place we moved to in Russia was a smaller village. My dad went first because he was supposed to get a house and, uh, you know, take care of all that stuff. Um, my mom had sent my dad a telegram about when we're coming. Well, my dad didn't get the telegram. So we came to a city by train. Uh, it was four days and four nights of travel. And my dad wasn't there to pick us up, so we had to find another train that goes closer to where we would end up. And that train wasn't even like a passenger train. It was um, a cargo train. So I remember <laughs> sitting on bags with, with like hay inside of it. And, you know, there was a couple of other uh, places that, that we, we, we were able to sit at. So I remember that time and I remember my mom was so upset because my dad didn't pick us up, but she didn't know that he didn't get the telegram. Right. So we came a little bit closer. And from there, we hired a driver to drive us to our house. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we were coming up on our house and my dad was surprised to see us at that point. But I, I remember the journey being very hard. My grandma was with us. Otherwise, it would have been my mom and me and my sister. We were six and seven. So uh, and, you know, her being nine months pregnant. I mean, I can't even imagine <laughs> They moved to a small village of less than 900 people, where Yelena's father half-jokingly feared his daughter's brightest futures were to become milkmaids at the government farm. Setting their sights on something more, Yelena and her family became America-bound. As we go through my story, it's amazing how much my parents have done for us, from Uzbekistan to Russia, and then again, moving to U.S. with five bags, starting all over again. I mean, time after time, they've really done, you know, or chosen to do the best for their children anyways. It was the fall of 1997. Just five years after the official end of the Cold War era, when Yelena landed in the United States and began attending public school. She didn't know English. She was starting from scratch with language and culture. I was 11 years old. The U.S. had a program to help refugees migrate to the United States. And we weren't considered refugees at the time, but back in Soviet Union, we were discriminated or the families were discriminated because they were Christians. So because of that time, you know, that past history, we were able to be considered refugees. That's how we got our, you know, ticket to U.S., basically. Under Soviet Union, they weren't allowed to have any religion, especially Stalin cracked down on them. And, you know, they couldn't get into universities if they were proclaimed Christians. They couldn't really have really good good jobs if they were openly Christian. They just basically believed that, hey, if people believe in God, then they can't be as well controlled as, as if they don't. You don't know English yet, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was very limited, like table, cat, dog, you know, single words here and there that I learned in, in school. I don't remember just being afraid about the language barrier. I just remember more about being afraid of like, what are people going to think? I got to wear something that's, you know, in... <laughs> Sounds kind of shallow, but hey, I was an 11-year-old. <laughs> she found it hard to make American friends, but luckily she was part of a small Russian community in the Berkshire Mountains of western Massachusetts. At first, I think to get more attention, I was more with the popular girls because, you know, first Russian in school and all that stuff, but then slowly tapered off. And I remember just a couple of people that I was really friends with and you know, I, I wasn't really participating in any after-school activities or anything like that, not to begin with anyways. But I, I also remember there was a, a a translator kind of assigned to me uh, because they didn't have ESL classes back then, but it was this lady who spoke Polish, so she was, uh, you know, she could understand me, she could help me out. But I would get so upset that she was following me around because I was just like, you know, I know what to do and I don't need your help type of thing, but uh -huh. I really did need her help a lot. So I was pretty stubborn back then. No way. 
<laughs> Elena used to tell me of the depression she witnessed in Russia and how alcohol was one of the only things people could turn to to occupy themselves during the cold winter months. This may be why she abstained from alcohol altogether. Unfortunately, just moving to America was not the key to her living the American dream. When she was still young, her family fell on some hardship, which left behind a fractured family unit that did not have the means to support itself. Young children and a mother with no formal job experience. Elena grew depressed herself and became overweight in her high school years. In many cases, she was still a public school outcast, a swan who had not yet discovered herself. But then one day, something happened, and she completely turned her life around. She decided to change and not be a victim. She took control over her diet, got involved in sports, varsity tennis, and excelled academically. I think the best thing that happened to me was that I did start playing sports. So I played, you know, soccer, basketball, and tennis. And from that, I was able to find a lot more friends, have more fun in school as opposed to just studying. I, by the time I was in high school and graduating high school, I definitely considered myself an American. And I thought in English as opposed to Russian. She started a friendly competition between her and her older sister to outwin each other in life. My older sister assimilated even faster than I have. She was a lot more social than me, if it's possible. But And, and she doesn't have an accent right now. I still have an accent where people might be like, oh, where are you uh, from? But I took a lot of uh, trips overseas. And those trips were during my teenage years. So I think I gained even more uh, of like an adult type of Russian conversationalism. And I, I think that also helped me keep my accent, those trips that I took. You did have some hard times growing up as a teenager. And then you made some... Some life choices to change direction. Can you talk a little bit about those? There was a few things contributing to that. I had a very good physics teacher in high school, so he was a good inspiration for me. He, that really got me to like science because before that I, I was always into math and I thought, you know, for sure I'll do something math related. And then another thing is my grandma was sick and I was going with her to different doctor's appointments and things like that. So that exposed me to like medicine. That's when I was like, well, I think I want to be a doctor and because of that, I had to work a lot harder on my grades and just basically built my high school resume with extracurricular activities, doctor for a day, volunteer activities at the hospital, things like that. She worked to put herself through college and graduated with a BS in chemistry. She took a job as a quality control technician with a small electroplating company that she interned with. Biology was too easy, so I thought chemistry is <laughs> nicely in the middle of that. To me, it seems like biology is a lot of memorization, right? and chemistry is actual problem-solving, and physics is problem-solving to the nth degree, which is why it's too hard. So that's interesting, because, I mean, I love biology, but because it's memorization and can't really be based off of what I think is fundamental principles, I could reason my way through chemistry and engineering, but uh, when it came to biology, I had to memorize it, and I always did poorly. Same with me. She was earning a respectable wage, even by most American standards much of which she gave back to her mother to help pay the bills. Considering her starting salary was nearly 20 times the equivalent salary she would earn in Uzbekistan, she had truly made it. She was already a rags-to-riches girl. She could have claimed victory and stopped there. She was not done. To give you more insight on Yelena, while most American families were having neighborly battles of decoration for the holiday spirit, or camping out in lines not for toilet paper or bread rations, but to get the best deals on the hottest new gadgets, Yelena had waited all year round to spend Christmas vacation with orphans. The, the Russian church who was doing missionary trips down there. I mean, nobody visits people in Siberia. In the summer, it's swamp lands, so it's very hard to get to on, uh, unless you have a helicopter or some kind of a hardcore boat that can get through the swamps. So winter was really the only time to reach those places. In the dead of winter, Yelena and a small band of churchgoers spent several weeks each year braving subarctic temperatures and frozen lake ice roads 
traveling across Siberia to perform and sing Russian Christmas carols to orphanages along their route. I, re- I just really like being a part of that, you know, to be able to go back and, I guess, like, give back to my community or the community that used to be mine. And also it just helped me also keep in touch with sort of the culture there. One of the nights we were there, I remember we were traveling to a destination, and even though the heat is full blasting in the van that we were in, there was about an inch thick of frost on the windows on the inside, and we're just like huddled in the middle of the van. And when we came out of the van that, that, that night, it was about minus 30 Celsius, and I just remember that I wasn't shivering. I was just like convulsing with my whole body uncontrollably because... It was so cold, you know, like it felt like your your face was just getting hit by a bunch of needles. So we didn't spend too much time outside. I mean, it was like get out and get inside the house right away. It was beautiful. Everything is covered in snow, like trees. And the nights there are just amazingly long. It, it becomes light out at 10 and it becomes dark out at 3. The sky is so clear. You can see so many stars. The moon looks huge. I mean, I remember some beautiful nights over there. And it, I think it is just as beautiful as as it is on pictures you know those small little houses with chimney smoke coming out of them i would say that's all accurate she literally did this until she was forced to stop having played guitar until stress fractures in her hand allowed her to play no more this was around the time yelena and i met yelena and i first met during a brief meeting with her then boss regarding a lean six sigma black belt course i was leading she was a quiet unassuming girl sitting prim and proper in the corner of her boss's office having barely spoken a word Luckily, our two companies ended up striking a deal, and Yelena did enroll in my course. It took less than a week for me to recognize the spark that was Yelena. She brought an unbelievable energy into the class and raised the bar for all students. She not only impressed all the instructors, but also her classmates, who included competitors from different companies, some who even wanted to poach her from her employer. Collectively, we spent over 200 hours together as I taught her in the class and continued to coach her through her projects. She was my star pupil, even to this day, now some eight years later, I believe she still holds that title. What more, for her, this was yet another large turning point in her life. After the black belt training, that's when I decided, okay, well, I don't want to do chemistry all the time. I want to do industrial engineering, focus on quality. So that's when I went to get my master's degree. She struggled between her loyalty to her company and the reality that she was in a company with poor morale and minimal advancement opportunity. This just didn't mesh with her drive to continue, learn, and expand her horizons. She continued to work her way through school, this time graduate school, while still helping to support her mother. While I was coaching her through her projects, I was also giving her career advice, giving her market perspective for her skills, and working with her on her resume. So when I got my master's degree and I told my boss at my first job that, hey, I have a master's degree, I really want to be able to use these skills in a greater capacity, is there anything the company can do for me? And of course, the company was very small. And he was kind of director of quality and there was really nobody else in quality except for inspection. And they weren't looking to add another role. So I knew that there was nothing for me there. Within the next two to three years, she finally decided to take the leap from her stagnant chemist role to a full-time process improvement engineering position with another company. A large company called Asa Abloy, a global manufacturer of the famed Sargent brand locks. It was at this point that I convinced her to come and work for me instead. It was a hard choice for her to make, but she had created a real clear vision of the future she wanted, and she recognized she could best realize that future if she came to work for me. The other job that I accepted was also in chemistry and also in electroplating, so you were really the only one who was offering me a way out of that and a way to start actually pursuing my next career goal, so it actually worked really well. 
you know, it was very hard for me to leave. Like you said, I was very loyal. I felt like they gave me such a chance when they took me fresh out of college and they exposed me to so many different things. But at the same time, I think they took advantage of me because I was very young and very motivated to work a lot and work hard. And and also, I was always the intern there, you know, even though I became the chemist and I became the lab supervisor, people still looked at me as a person out of college, an intern, you know, and I wasn't really getting a lot of respect there. And I think that would have followed me. For a while. We worked closely together. I continued to work with her on her career, and she became my right hand for my most important technical projects. When we parted ways a couple years ago, I knew she would be the best legacy I could leave with my former company. Where did you get this girl, I would hear? I simply stated that I'd been scoping her out and coaching her for several years. They established a new technical key account manager department, and I moved into that department trying to help with their customer complaints, with their quality requests. And that was a very stressful job for me because... You know, I felt bad for the customers when we messed something up and there was customer complaints and I couldn't leave it at work after I went home. I was still worried about it. I was still on my phone, on my computer. So I think that kind of like wore me out a little bit. And I was very happy when I was presented with the opportunity to and become a quality systems analyst. It's kind of like the best of everything for me because I get to work with data I do a lot of data analysis. I help people gather the data and figure out ways of solving businesses' problems. And I don't have to work with customers, which was the stressful part of my job. So, and, and those are very, I mean, when we're talking about those, those are probably some of the toughest customers to please uh, in the world. Um, they're all, yes. they're on the cutting edge of, of all the technology for uh, mostly semiconductors. So, uh, and they're never happy, which means you're never happy. <laughs> She and I still keep in touch, but her life is very much different than when we first met. She has forged her dream life with a man named Joel. They enjoy a comfortable home with a baby girl of their own, now two, who are growing up all too quickly. Yelena is still rocking out in her career as she sets her eyes on a future PhD. She also enjoys a new perspective on what she is worth, earning double what she was as a QC chemist, although I know she is still very thankful to the company that gave her her start. She also continued to add to her skills, this time in quality systems, and she continues to strengthen her network for whenever she chooses to go in a new direction. So this is all still part of my grand plan um, where I wanted to, you know, I wanted to work in industry, gain experience, and then while I work in the industry and gain experience, uh, possibly get a PhD and then start being a professor. And by that time, I'm thinking I would have 20 years of industry and I would have a lot of personal experience, not just theories and book knowledge about quality and how it works. Um, so I tried to expose myself to that and an opportunity came up very randomly through LinkedIn for an adjunct position. And I accepted right away because, you know, no matter how much they pay, I just really wanted to see how I would do in, you know, in academia teaching, if I would like it or not, you know, is it worth pursuing it further? And let me tell you, I was not disappointed. And I think you have students who get excited about you using a tool and they tell you, oh, I'm going to use it at my meeting next week. Mm -hmm. And it just gives you so much more energy to, you know, <laughs> just be like, oh, I'm going to teach you more, you know. And we, we in my class, it was just an introduction. It was introduction to quality systems. So it was a very dry class about various different quality systems and quality gurus and a lot of history, you know, while, it, while I think it's important, but uh, it's not a lot of application. And I was just able to not just teach them about the quality guru, but also teach them how to utilize the skills and the tools that those quality gurus came up with. I really liked it. And I'm looking forward. I'm going to start teaching another class there uh, in the winter. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a six-sigma class. So uh -oh. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be even better. 
So just so you know, uh, you were that person in my class, that, that person who got excited about it and made it uh, a lot easier to teach. Well, that, that's good. I'm happy because, <laughs> I mean, Aaron, you can cut this out if you want to, but you basically <laughs> paved my career for me because oh, before no. that, I was a chemist, not really in love with chemistry, not knowing where I'm going to go next. And then when you showed me Six Sigma, I was like, well, this is it. This is a perfect mi mix of math and science and real world experience. This is what I want to do. And so this is where I am. And hopefully well, yeah. in time I can, you know, teach people uh, to appreciate the science just as much as you've taught me. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I was there when the timing was right. But uh, as you said, you've had, a, you've had a grand scheme on a grand plan for a long time and you worked your butt off for it. So uh, don't forget that. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, tell me about your first day being a professor. Well, I was of course, very nervous about it because it's also, it's a, a good one college um, is a continuing education college too. So sometimes it's professionals who are my age. Sometimes they're older than me who mm -hmm. are trying to get their degree and or moving into a new field and getting their degree. So that's intimidating because, you know, you have a person younger than you teaching you what to do and you might even have more on the job experience. So all of those things together kind of like intimidated me. Right. And of course, like thinking about my language barrier thinking about how I talk really fast when I get nervous. So I was really intimidated. But you know what? I came to that class and something happened that kind of made me feel like more confident, right? Uh, one of the younger students asked, so are we going to get dismissed early today or what? And I'm like, what? I was like, this is a joke. I was like, I was like, uh, we'll see about that. This is the first class and you're starting with that. You know, it was, it was literally the first thing she, she said to me. And I was like, you know what? These are a bunch of immatures, and they're probably here to get a paper, and I'm going to make sure that they're here, and they're going to get more than just a paper or a diploma or a grade, Right. you know? And I feel like during college, I was probably that person, too. I was just there going through the motions to get my diploma, and I think that's the fly in the education system is because they teach so much theory and not so much how do you apply this theory mm -hmm. to actual on-the-job uh, tasks that you have to do so that it's very disconnected. <laughs> then you have people graduating from college, not knowing really what to do when they come to work. So. You know, and, and I'll definitely echo that. I, I, my, uh, undergrad career, I was, I squeaked by with a two seven GPA. And then after I got some experience, I was like, oh, I'm going to go for my master's. And my master's was like a three nine. So I completely agree. You don't really know why you, why you should work so hard. The reasons mm -hmm. I worked so hard in high school were all gone. I was trying to impress my teachers. In college, mm -hmm. I had no chance of impressing my teachers, so I couldn't find a good reason to work so hard, not mm -hmm. until I figured out why I was working for me and my family. So uh, I completely agree with that. Mm -hmm. So why are you working so hard? I think I would have to second uh, for me and my family because, you know, prior to having my family, it was always like, well, I want to be successful. Mm -hmm. And now I have to be successful, you know? I don't, I'm fortunate enough where I don't have to make decisions like my parents made where I just leave one country and move to another and my degree and anything I did is worthless. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm lucky enough to just be here and have my degree and everything I worked hard for stay with me. So now I have to be successful for my two daughters, for my husband, and I guess that's why. <laughs> she also recently completed her first half marathon. That's over 13 miles. From the 11-year-old Russian girl who came to this country less than 20 years ago, to a modern American woman, she made her success journey something extraordinary. I'm proud to have been, even if only temporarily, a spoke in the wheel of the vehicle that helped her along that journey. So, all right, looking back, now you've you've reached some level of maturity. You're not old, 
I'm old. You're not old. Uh, what advice would you give to your teenage self? I think the same advice I would give to myself now. I think sometimes I get caught up uh, worrying what people will think. And that makes me be insecure in whatever I can do and just in myself. And I think especially during teenage years when, you know, people are insecure about what they can do, insecure about their looks. You know, I would just tell myself, don't don't worry about what people think. Just do your thing and be confident in it. I have to tell that to myself right now, too, especially, you know, when I became a mother uh, first time. That was a big problem. You know, you just feel so insecure. Um, you don't know what you're doing as a parent. And then even the second time you would think, well, you already had a child. Uh, but how do you handle two kids now? And right. I was so insecure for a while. You know, in every single job move, I was very insecure about, you know, how am I going to handle this? This is different. You know, it's going to be hard. But I think just being and acting more confident helps you to actually perform better. I agree. So I just want the listeners to know that uh, Yelena is going to be teaching uh, a class that I had applied to uh, teach. <laughs> <laughs> she got it, and I, and I didn't. <laughs> well, that's because you were looking for a full-time position, I think. No, no. no? Oh, well, I never funny. even got that far. I got a, I got an email from a guy. I replied once, and then I never heard from him again. <laughs> you were overqualified. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so uh, I do expect that you know one of your first assignments will be all your students have to subscribe to my podcast. I think you know what I mentioned really... your podcast in my first class too, and I was even going to do an assignment around it, but then I was like, you know what, this is too extreme for them. Yeah, no, <laughs> but I was going to have them listen to one of them and then kind of like reflect on, you know, like tying it back to the quality systems that we were mm -hmm. learning about. <laughs> So I did do a parody of uh, of uh, I did a song about the FMEA and I put it on YouTube. So I am looking for people to create a video around it. So I would love it if people could <laughs> contribute. Take it as a project. <laughs> Absolutely, make it a class project. It's a it, you look it up on YouTube. It's the FMEA song. Right now, it's just me singing and a bunch of words scrolling. But. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome because one of my favorite songs ever is the Mini Tab song. Well, it it, it should rival the Mini Mini Tabs, <laughs> and but it's more educational than the Mini Tab song. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Yelena, we do have a slogan here, and I, I was wondering if you could try to say it or or something equivalent in Russian, and that is "journey through success." Okay, um, so I've, I've tried to like research what the right word for through is in Russian ah. or how to express it. So I, I'm going to try to do the best that I can. But maybe if there's a professional Russian translator listening to this podcast, they might disagree with me. Got but it. I would say uh, it would be Daroga k uspiehu. I love it. I don't care if okay. it's right or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Thank you, Yelena. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to episode 153 of the E-Success Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode 154 for our third anniversary show as we welcome 2017. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Tap click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comments section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at esuccess-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then clamor and share it. Don't forget you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Daroga k uspiehu. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down. <laughs>